When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 18th of October. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reed on LMFM. The government is expected to approve a moratorium on evictions when the Cabinet meets today. The no-fault ban will mean that tenants who pay their rent and are not involved in antisocial behaviour or found to be damaging property cannot be evicted. The ban will be temporary, covering the cold winter months running from November or December up until the end of March. It's a step that will be welcomed by many tenants concerned about keeping a roof over their heads this winter with the housing crisis making it next to impossible to find, let alone afford somewhere to rent. So as we head into the winter, people can feel sure that they will have a place to call home, but 
the next question is, will they be able to heat that home and keep the lights on for that matter? This evening, the doll will be asked to put a ban in place on electricity and gas disconnections. The motion is being tabled by Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke, who's on the line. A very good morning to you, Darren. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. As I say, if adopted, your motion would mean nobody would get disconnected. But you're also looking to reduce and cap the price of electricity bills at the rates that we paid in the summer of 2021. Uh, do we need both measures or does one not contradict the other? You'd wonder if uh, the bills were the same as they were in the summer of 2021, would people not be able to afford them? Well, they were very high in, in summer 2021 as well relative to, to the years that went before. But also uh, we know, Michael, that uh, uh, gas and electricity bills are just one of a number of bills that, that people have coming into the, the household over the, the, the winter period. So it's about, for us, uh, the state stretching itself and, protect, and, and uh, setting out a, a, a range of protections for, for people in what are quite unprecedented times, you mm. know, what's, what's happening on the international gas markets, what, uh, the, wh- where the price of electricity and gas are at this time. Uh, we, we've never been here before. Um, and uh, we hope uh, and ca- can be reasonably confident that, um, that in the time ahead, uh, with, with measures at a European level and, and Ireland could take measures them, themselves, that, uh, that we will uh, uh, introduce some degree of normality into, into those, those, those markets. Mm. Um, it's clear that they, you know, they aren't working and they need to be addressed and, and, and fundamental reforms that needs to happen at, at, at pace at a, at a European level. And uh, Ireland needs to be a driver in relation to that. But what, what we're saying is that the government and they've taken advice from the from the the CRU uh, back in September that the the measures that they have a, a extended the protections that they have extended um this they have a very partial uh, moratorium on, on disconnections in at the minute for for people who are uh, self-identified as vulnerable customers mm. and subsequent to that who are registered with their supplier as vulnerable customers um there's a, a moratorium on disconnections for, for, for them from from the 1st of October until the end of March. That's a six-month right. uh, period. For for everybody else, uh, bill pay customers, there is a moratorium that comes in on the 1st of December and runs to the end of of um, uh, February, which is a three-month month period. And for pay-as-you-go customers, and that's an important mm. element of the, the motion we're bringing forward tonight, there, there's no such protection uh, at all, despite the, the commitments from, from the Taoiseach. Okay, spell out uh, what's in store for us. If you got a bill, let's say, for €300 Euro in the summer of 2021, what would you expect that to be uh, next time around uh, in November? Uh, €600? So more than that, actually. So, so, so we had and, and take Electric Ireland as, a, as, as, an, as mm-hmm. an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 130% is, is, yeah. is what has been is what people have realised in the last uh, 12 to 18 months, you know, which is... Okay, so you're talking more like 700. Yeah, it, 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 could, okay. be in the, it could be in that region, yeah. It, okay, it could all right, so let's say you get a, a bill for 700, uh, but your motion is adopted and you're only charged 300. Um, who pays the other 400? 
so so um well in it, it, i suppose the answer is in two parts uh in uh, to part of it is is paid by well in the first instance it's paid by the state so so uh the government picks up the tab uh um essentially that you know that that's the the government are picking up the tab but also um the the profits of so so we would introduce a windfall tax so so it's, it's coupled with you know a windfall tax on we know for example that we're paying for the same price for wind energy and solar energy as we are for for gas the way the the system is so there's massive profits been reported by by energy companies we've seen it with with every provider we have in Ireland particularly those providers that have have considerable renewables uh, on their 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 energy mix, um, so so we would I- introduce a, a a windfall tax on those, and we would also introduce a, what's called a solidarity windfall tax on the excess profits of carb gas fields. So carb gas are making gas the same way as as they were two and three years ago, but the, uh, because of the shortage of supply, they're they're they're, they're reporting massive mm. uh, in, increase in profits. So, but it would so, reduce the dividend that the government gets from the ESB, uh, and that would reduce the government's capacity to give six hundred euro to everybody. No, no, no. We, we would we would we would continue to we would I, I suppose for the ESB and the ESB are an. Ex- an exception in the sense that they're essentially a state company, mm. so so almost, you know, the the, the additional benefit yeah. to the taxpayer from the ESB would, but would be limited. To, but if, but well, if I have to pay them three hundred instead of seven hundred, uh, then that means the ESB gets less and uh, the government gets less. Yeah, but but in that case, the government, you know, the ESB still need to be paid if if they're um, if 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 uh, you know if they're dependent on how much gas they are running on, on their system. Okay. But what we would do, take for example, the ESB probably isn't the best example because we're we're taking a dividend back off them anyway in terms of 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 their which is helping to fund the energy credits that we're getting, and I suppose yeah. that's the reason why I was saying that. Yeah. So, but 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 I suppose but take that principle, Michael, and mm. apply it to all the other companies. Mm. Apply it to SSE Electricity. Apply it to mm. Energia. Apply it to Borgosh Energy. We're not do, we're not returning the we're not getting the same sort of dividend off them as we are off ESB and. And if, if Sinn Féin had its way through windfall tax, that's exactly what we would get. And that would offset um, some or all of that, of that so, 400 So just to, under, just to understand what you're suggesting, so that instead of getting a, a bill for 700, uh, it, it would be reduced to 300. Uh, and I'd still get the 600 euro credit, would I? Because there'd be no shortfall uh, to the exchequer. No, not, not Sinn Fein isn't isn't proposing the the uh, the, the, the you know the two hundred uh, three times. Okay. What we're what we're proposing is a a number of targeted cost of living payments um, because of course people have ha- and and a number of other measure, measures. So so targeted cost of living payments. Um, you know a, a suite of measures around uh, the social welfare system uh, and and everything that everything else that was contained in our in our uh, alternative budget as a way to to get people through this unprecedented time of of of, of this winter um but we but we wouldn't our proposal in terms of and it's a universal measure and there are criticisms of that of that of every universal measure but our suite 
to protect people from the rising cost of, of electricity is a cap on the prices um, mm. and those, those windfall and, and, taxes. And that cap would bring that example that we're using down from 700 to 300. So instead of getting a, a bill for 700, if I, I got a bill for 300 and I didn't pay it, what would happen then? Well, um, so, so we would introduce, and uh, as I said, there, there are... Um, there are uh, limited protections in by, by government, but um, if you didn't pay the 300 euros and we introduced the, the, mm. our, our moratorium on, on disconnections, um, you, you wouldn't be disconnected, but you would still owe 300 euros at the end of March. And would I be disconnected end- then? You, 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 the ban of disconnections would be lifted, and usually, what would happen, as is the case, uh, um, you know, outside mm. of the period of ban and disconnection, if you engage with your supplier, if you enter into a, a repayment plan, mm. um, and, and that's been extended. Uh, but at that stage, you know, I probably have arrears of six hundred and another bill due of another two hundred. So yeah. that would be a lot of money owed eight hundred, uh, and, and that, and that that's would be. Your and that's your incentive to pay the 300. Um, I think for 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 uh, for anyone, you know, the, it's not a case of you you, you you know you walk away from your liability. You, you know, you you walk away from 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 the debt in relation to you don't. Mm. But what, what the principle here is. We are in unprecedented times on, on a, a huge cost of living crisis that doesn't just apply to, to energy costs, but also to transport, to, to fuel, to housing, to rent, mm-hmm. to uh, food, um, to the clothes on, on your back and, the, and, and your, your family's back. Um, so so at, that, at this time, what Sinn Féin is saying, it is not right or moral or ethical that a family in whatever circumstances would have the lights go off or the heat go off. Um, that's, I think it's just in a republic, it's a principle that should be there. Other republics, you know, France and um, have, have, uh, have sim- similar uh, measures that they introduce as a matter of course. Um, you know, in, in fairness to suppliers, they they have they have a voluntary code. Mm. We believe it should be a mandatory code. It yeah. should come. It should it should stem from you know essentially that fundamental principle of of, of what's right in the republic that we don't let our people go cold um, or live in darkness. Should we be using less? Uh, I, I'm reading in the Irish Examiner this morning that we're the only country in Europe to increase the amount of gas we used in the second quarter of uh, this year. It fell in all of the other European countries. Yeah, we, we, we certainly should. And I think people are anyway, um, Michael, on, on an individual base. I, I know it myself from when, mm. I, when I'm out canvassing, uh, from, from talking to people, because they're, they're you know, uh, they're constrained. It's, and, and again, it's not just in terms of mm. energy. Some of our major challenge in Ireland, Michael, is is the way we've managed, you know, and, and I, this isn't on individuals, the mm. way the government, uh, successive governments have managed our energy system. So well, do you think everybody, though, going to bed tonight pulls the plug out of their television or do they leave the plug in and the red light on? Uh, because that's one of the things they tell you if you really are trying to save on energy bills. 
For, uh, and, and I think they are. You know, I, um, I've seen it, and we're, we're out canvassing these evenings, Michael. And you're you're knocking up to to uh, houses that are re- you know not lit up anywhere like they would have would have been before. And we've heard, and I think you know there are they are sensible proposals. Sometimes when we hear certain government ministers and party leaders come out, they, they you know they, they sound patronising um, the, the way that the way that the message is delivered. But it, but I think it's it is important for people to to look at what discretionary use they have in, in terms of their energy use. And, and, and you're right. We know that if we leave devices on standby with a red light on, it can use up to, to 10 or 15 percent of the, the energy mm. as, as, as when it's turned on. So I certainly know, I know when, when, when I'm at home or, what, as I say, when I'm out and about in canvassing, um, but certainly when, when, when I'm at home, um, the, the, the habits of leaving a couple of extra lights on, yeah. uh, leaving devices uh, uh, on standby, that's gone now. That's, uh, you know, Is it? That's, I'm surprised to hear that. Uh, and do you think that if People are, are cooking a, a chicken today and a ham tomorrow uh, that they don't say to themselves, uh, maybe I could do the two in the one day. Yeah, well, well I, I, just just to be very clear in relation mm. to it, and, and, and I suppose uh, um, it's, it's worth making the point that in, in many of these issues, you know, some people are more exposed than others. So I can say very, very clearly that I have had into our constituency offices and met people on, on canvassing. And the first thing they talk about is the price of energy, the cost of living crisis and the measures that they are taking to, um, to, mm. to, to try and address. So I, I, like, and d- d- elderly, despite elderly doing everything that they can do or can think of doing, the prices are still unaffordable, in other words. Yeah, it, that, that's okay. that's the case, and and and, and it's not just Sinn Féin that are saying that. We had a, a an EAPN report out yesterday that said five hundred and eighty-one thousand people are are living below the poverty line. Yes. We had the ESRI during the summer saying that in the region of forty-three percent would be living or at risk of of fuel poverty. These are unprecedented figures, and also uh, on the back of the budget, post the budget, we had the uh, Vinc- Vinc- Vincenzen Trust saying that the the government's wouldn't offset the increase in costs, so so they're not. Uh, so people will essentially, if you're at risk of poverty, um, you're going to fall further into poverty, mm. uh, uh, it, despite the efforts of the government. Okay. Do you think that an education program uh, would be helpful? I, I think as as a as a as a matter of course, it it, it should be. Um, it's something that that should happen. Um, I think, you know, uh, I mean, I, I've said that before. Sometimes I have to say, you know, uh, sometimes Eamon Ryan comes out with statements, and it's uh, I, I, being perfectly honest, um, they're offensive to people. I, I think they're the, uh, but at the same time. Um, I think there are practical measures that, that people can take uh, and should take. As I say, I, in my experience, very, very many people are already taking them because mm. they've been forced here to okay. the price of things. But, mm. but I think, you know, mm. if, if uh, I think if, if uh, media and government were, were, were sensible in relation to it, um, they, they could outline a, a suite of measures that people could take um, uh, okay. that, that, that would help reduce their cost. Okay. But, well, but at the root mm-hmm. of it, at the root of it, uh, families need support and protection over this uh, over this winter. So it, it won't be enough. It, uh, um, 
you know, if, if we turn the lights off and turn mm. the heating off, our costs would be significantly reduced. We would be, you know, we would be driving our people into into a very cold winter. Mm. So so there needs, you know, we, we have a basic need for, for these uh, utilities and uh, it, it's reasonable to expect in a republic that that um, those in need would be supported. Okay, well, your motion will be debated in the Dáil this evening. Thanks indeed uh, for joining us as always. Darren O'Rourke is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on climate action and a TD for Me East. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, a very striking front page of the Irish Sun today. Monk in the Dock, a story that's written by Michael Doyle, who is a journalist with the Irish Sun and on the line. This is a very good morning to you, Michael, and thanks for joining us on uh, the programme uh, today. This is in advance of the much-anticipated trial of Jerry Hutch, uh, which will get underway in the Special Criminal Court later today. It follows, of course, uh, the sentencing of the Dowdles yesterday, Jonathan and his father Patrick, and I suppose that paves the way for today's trial. Well, well, well. This is it exactly, Michael. Um, Jerry is due to go on trial now. It's due to start in about an hour's time now. He was he was supposed to get underway about two weeks ago, but did uh, and Jonathan Dowdle was due to stand uh, to stand trial for murder along along with Jerry Hutch, but he took the decision to plead guilty to a lesser charge the week before. His father was um, was already charged with that lesser charge of facilitating the murder of David Byrne, and on the back of that plea, the defence needed time, of course, to reconsider their their strategy going into the defence trial and put back for two weeks on the back of that. It's due to get on now, hopefully, this morning. We do anticipate there might be some legal discussions, but the trial should open. Um, and as you said, the Dowdos were both jailed for their, their involvement in the murder of David Byrne yesterday. Mm. Jonathan got four, a four-year sentence, while his father, Patrick, got a two-year sentence. Were you surprised by that at all, Michael, given that it's expected that Jonathan will turn state witness? Well, um Mr. Justice Tony Hunt, the presiding judge in the case, is a very, very thorough and, and, and a judge. And there was, I, don't, I don't think there was any way he could have possibly have given them a suspended sentence and let them go into witness protection. He had to kind of give some kind of punishment. He gave him a lot of credit for his guilty plea and for the fact that he he's, he's going to uh, he made a statement against Jerry Hutch and has offered and will testify at some point during the trial. But but I guess he had to recognise that that it was a serious involvement and he continued to associate with the with the gang in the aftermath of what happened. He travelled. To, to Northern Ireland with a member of, of the organisation, the court has heard. So he, he certainly was involved at, at, at a significant enough level. Like his father had a lesser mm. lesser role, a role we heard. He almost like assisted um, Jonathan's involvement in it in the court to rec- recognise that and describe him as he got caught, get, getting caught up in his son's decision to, to get involved in the, in the crime. Mm, all right. Uh, a four year sentence and a two year sentence. But uh, I'm reading your article this morning in The Sun. Uh, and you're saying uh, that Jonathan will be out sometime next year and his father Patrick out in a few months? Well, Patrick Aylon has already served uh, a period of 12 months in custody exclusively in relation to this. So his two-year sentence will, and with permission which goes, but every sentence in the courts, we, we, you'd expect him to be released from that two-year sentence within a couple of months. Jonathan was, now they both serve, were serving a significant sentence for false imprisonment and assault, so a completely unrelated case um, which, which received a, a fair bit of, of media attention. And they did, they both served, following their charge, their murder, their charge in relation to the Regency, which took place in April uh, 2021. They both 
closer probably almost a year in custody on remand in relation to that as well so when you take those things into, mm. if you factor in those things and the fact that there will be certain information it could certainly be later on next year Jonathan gets out or even in the early part of, of 2024 but he, he, and then of course he'll join the witness security programme where, where his family will, will have already kind of started as such Okay uh, um, I was going to ask you will he want to get out or will he feel safer in prison? Well, well, this is the this this is the thing. Um, I, I don't know. What, obviously, we, the the plans for him and his family are would be mm. get very uh, very close with guarded, guarded secret. But there are kind of there are Kinnahan members in the associates in Portlaoise Prison. Now, it's not it's not definite that he'll serve his sentence there. He has to present himself to the governor there. They may decide to move them elsewhere. But for now, it's in two weeks they will present themselves. So, I mean, there are plenty of criminals behind bars. There are Kinnahan associates in um, in Portlaoise. There are Hutch associates in in, in Wheatfields naturally enough they'd want to keep them away from from those type of people um, I think I saw somewhere else this morning um, that they're going to be testing their food for to see to prevent any kind of poison getting into them so it's one of those things the decision he made to get to uh, to plead guilty and it's kind of has to kind of deal with the consequences I guess yeah. and, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of his security yeah. and his family's safety yeah it's the sort of thing out of a Hollywood movie type of thing um, but uh, the uh, special criminal court today will be a very interesting place as well this is a big trial security will be tight in fact uh, you're suggesting it'll be a ring of steel around the court well, there, there, there generally is for high-profile prisoners. Now, I've watched Jerry Hurst come in to come into court on a couple of occasions now in the past 13 months since he was first extradited from Spain. And it is, it, there is tight, there's armed guardy going in, there is there, everybody, there's a proper, there's a proper searching going. I even saw yesterday there was a young uniformed guard actually asking other uniformed guardy entering if they had their ID as well, kind of a, as a, kind of taking no chances in terms of what happened at the Regency Hotel with the, with the, with the guardy in the skies. And that's a move. I certainly haven't seen before but yeah there will be very tight security every member of the media are on, who are going to cover the trial are on a special list um, to gain access to the courts um, so yeah it, it'll, it will be very tight and of course Jerry Hutch is a, is a prominent figure I guess uh, um, most people in Ireland would, would know who Jerry Hutch is and certainly this is it's the most high profile trial criminal trial perhaps or gangland criminal trial since perhaps John Gilligan's um, for the murder of Ronald Gearn Sorry Michael uh, how long would you expect it to run for well, it's at the moment it's down for it was, it was originally down for twelve weeks, but because of the the new evidence regarding Jonathan Dowdall, they, that will take some amount of time. There will be serious cross examination that could go on for a number of days. The defence have estimated that they don't expect it to finish by Christmas. Wow. They do expect it to go into the early part of twenty twenty three, perhaps not long into twenty twenty three, but we certainly be the first side of Christmas before we'd expect the trial to end. Wow. Okay, Michael, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing an awful lot more. As Michael Doyle, journalist with the Irish Sun. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. In 2TD for me, the West Patrick Hobain is walking with uh, parents and uh, children from Beliver to Trim uh, this morning to protest over a lack of places on uh, the school bus and on the line. And a very good morning to you. Thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, you're still walking, are you? Because you set off uh, a couple of hours ago. We did. We, we left um, uh, Beliver at uh, 10 past 8. And we've about 14 kilometres walked and we've about three kilometres left. So we're not far. We're near to complete the steeples here uh, on the way into Trim. And uh, we had a great crowd of parents and children who set off with us um, with placards and chants. We left pretty much uh, as it was just getting bright in the fog. Um, and um, it was just a very strong you know, sense of, of 
anger and annoyance uh, mm. with the parents uh, in Beliver. There's about 17 children at the moment there who, you know, cannot get any school bus transport to school. Many of them had tickets before, concessionary tickets before, uh, and some of them years on the bus without a bother. Um, and yes, now right. there's no no transport for them at, at okay. all. Okay, and I, I think we, uh, we, we are all aware of the problems, but I, I thought the budget was to solve the problems. Yeah, we've heard, we've heard one of the major difficulties we have with this government is they're making decisions like this back in uh, July uh, without actually doing the work to put the systems in place. Mm. And here we are at least three months afterwards and parents are trying to contact departments, mm. they're con- trying to contact Bus Aaron and, uh, you know, they're, they're getting yeah. no response. So okay. not only is there a lack of bus transport, mm. but the public service, whose job it is, is to feed information to people is just simply not responding. Okay, to I, haven't, I haven't heard of any problems in weeks and I, I thought that it was because of measures that, that were announced in the budget and that the problems had generally been solved. Well, see, our worry is that, you know, the government have left thousands of, of parents still yeah. hanging in relation to this, lots of children left behind, but they're just kind of plodding on and right. we're going to get to a situation where this will be forgotten about. But, well, if there's 17 know, students in Bliver alone, uh, well, there's obviously still a significant problem. Uh, Lillian sure. is on the phone. I think Lillian Lee, uh, good morning to you, Lillian. Good Thanks. morning to you. Good morning to you. Uh, two, two of your children are, are without a seat. Two of my children, yes. I have a leave insert in the Boyne and I have a TY student in school where both have been on the bus. We've been paying for the tickets and receiving the bus tickets uh, since they started in first year. Right. And this year, as normal, we paid as soon as the bus system went live, the ticket system went live, we paid our €500. Euro. And on the 23rd of August, the day the bus term commenced, we got the email to say we were not being uh, offered tickets. Right, uh, uh, and your eldest would have been on the bus for the last five years? Yeah, he's five years, yeah. yes. Yes, he's leaving certain now. Right, so that, so that came as a, uh, a surprise, uh, uh, and I can understand Again, why you'd be very annoyed. this year. Yeah. Now, we were always aware of the concessionary tickets issue. Yeah. But with the Minister announcing free transport for all students, that means, in my view transport for all mm. irrespective of concessionary tickets or eligible tickets. Yeah. Is that about text? It overrides it overrides in my view yeah. concessionary tickets. I, I get you. I've a text from Anne that probably spells out the problem very well. She says a, a lot of the parents uh, had to pay on the buses. Uh, they wouldn't pay. When they had to pay, they wouldn't pay. Now that it's free, uh, their children are on the buses and that's preventing that your has, children. That has happened. That has happened, but the system allowed that to happen. Mm. That's, that's the no way. fault of the people that availed of the tickets it was offered to them. Yeah, of course. Yeah, sure, you'd be mad not to take a free bus ticket worth €500 Euro or whatever it is. I would take any bus ticket now for the con- convenience of it. Yeah. Uh, and um, what, what, what does it mean for you now? Uh, what, they went back it's well over a month ago. It's so frustrating and such a pressure on family. Mm. On families. Um, what, how, do, how, do you get them, how do you get them to trim, though? We have to drive. Oh, so, in this, this uh, where they're looking for um, uh, climate reduced carbon emissions, get people out of their cars, it's forcing us into cars. So, that 300 kilometres a week that we're doing, I wouldn't be in the car. 
otherwise. Mm. Only that I have to transport them in and out of school. Mm. And, uh, is that so cheap? It's a total contradiction yeah. what the government And it's for. not cheap to run a car, let alone the emissions and, and all and that. The, yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. And that was the idea of the free bus mm. to alleviate financial hardship. It has incurred extreme financial hardship on us. Okay, well you're getting a lot of attention Lillian, you and the other well, parents. Well we appreciate yeah. all of this for the airtime that we're receiving. Yeah. Okay, let me go back to Padre Tobin if I, I can. Uh, there is a, a lot of attention, I see it in the Irish Examiner, uh, it's uh, you know unusual for a, a protest from Beliver or in Beliver uh, to get national press coverage like that. I think uh, RTA have been covering it as well. Obviously the local radio station and I'm sure the papers uh, will give a, a lot of time and focus to this and it highlights the problems, as you say, that parents all over the country are, are experiencing. Uh, will it will it do anything to change that situation? Well, first of all, I want to commend the parents in, in Beliver because I met with them a couple of weeks ago and we, we sat down and tried to work out what we could do. Um, and, you know, my view was that the strongest minister in the country is what I call Minister Joe Duffy. And what I mean by that is the, the power of the media in relation to this. And unfortunately... You know, an issue is not an issue in government departments unless it's over the front pages or on radio stations such as yourselves. So I want to commend the, the, the parents and the children for like, This is a big issue. Walking nearly three hours into Trim on a, on a cold, foggy morning is, is not easy. Yeah. Um, so it, well done. And, and then just to say, people don't know the power that they have. That when people organise well and they, they focus and get involved in these types of activities, they can bring enormous pressure on the political establishment. They shouldn't have to do it. The political establishment should be there serving the people and themselves, but they're not, unfortunately. The context of this is, is, is very serious. It's, it's not just an issue for Beliver. It is an issue that's, that's been echoed across the country. And it's coming at a time where people can really hardly afford to live. And, you know, we're seeing that the, the whole cost of living crisis is biting down on people. And one of the key problems in the administration is this instinct whereby they launch something to great fanfare and publicly, uh, etc. But they don't do the work to put the systems in place to make it happen. They should be doing the work. They should make making sure that the, the buses are in, in place, the drivers are in place, everything is ready to go before they make the announcement. And, and that's one of the reasons why we're in the jock that we're in at the moment. All right, well, I assumed uh, that the problems had been resolved. Uh, so well done to parents and children uh, for bringing this uh, to our attention and I think because of uh, the coverage that this is getting nationally uh, to a lot of people around uh, the country today. Thank you for joining us as well. Pater Tobas is speaking with Lillian Lee. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, some of uh, the messages uh, coming to us. Uh, somebody saying it's safer for parents to leave uh, their children at school than having them cross the road for school buses as cars will not slow down when they see a bus on the main roads. It's not safe to cross the road anymore. Paddy Duffy in touch with us saying his electric is supplied by Electric Ireland and the unit cost pre the 1st of November was 0.2872 was supposed to increase by 26.7% on the 1st of November and that should have brought it up to 0.3639 but instead the cost unit has risen to 0.3970. 
uh, which he says is a 38% increase instead of a 26.7% increase. And that's before the 9% of VAT is applied. Thanks uh, for that, Paddy, uh, who's asking us to explain. Uh, but I'm afraid that's uh, a little bit above my head. Uh, I'm not sure why, uh, but uh, it is shocking nonetheless. Now, if uh, anyone in this country is uh, thinking of becoming an electrician, it's quite possible that they'll do their training in Drogheda. A new craft skills training hub is to be established in the town and they expect 336 apprentices to go through this hub every year. It is a a remarkable uh, piece of news uh, that was announced uh, by the Minister for Higher Education, Simon Harris. It's in line with the Gearn report uh, and we're joined by Anna McKenna who's uh, the chairperson of uh, the Drogheda City Status Group. Good morning to Anna uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. This was one of the recommendations in the Gearn report that you and your group really focused on uh, and hoped uh, would be implemented. I'm sure you must be delighted. Uh, good morning Michael. Um, I am delighted. It's one of the key areas of Drogheda City Status had been advocating for the whole area of higher and further education and training and we're delighted that Minister Harris has responded in a positive way that he has done. Um, the two initiatives also respond to the Gernon report commissioned by Minister McEntee. You might recall that Minister Humphreys came to Drata and she invited Martin O'Brien to oversee the implementation of the Gernon report. And Martin then made a point of recommending Michael Kyo, a Drogheda native, knowing that he would deliver and chair the meeting and get good administrative support in place. And that has, that has been fulfilled with the efficient administrative work of Grania Beryl and, and, and the team. But if I could go back to the start where mm. um, we, Drogheda City Status representatives, had met with um, Minister Harris in Dublin some weeks ago. And he did then um, say that he was going to come to Drogheda. He kept to his word and he came to Drogheda uh, uh, to the Diffie. And he announced um, that uh, a multi-million euro development uh, territory education building and community changing facilities, shared spaces and remote learning spaces. And this accommodation will cater for the delivery of third level education in Drogheda for the first time in its foundation. And on that day, he also said that he would be back in Drogheda. And again, true to his word, on his birthday yesterday, he was back in the former State Street premises with the announcement of this major initiative mm. of Apprenticeship Centre for Drogheda, majoring on electrical apprenticeships. Yeah. And we are delighted because we feel it's the first time that Drogheda has got anything that's majorly worthwhile. And I think that Drogheda is becoming to be noticed by Dublin. OK, uh, 20 people will be employed uh, yeah, training. people full time. Yeah. Training the 336 apprentices yeah. uh, every year. Uh, but it'll also give a, a great alternative. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply to young people in the town who perhaps feel that college isn't for them. Yes, and um, Minister Harris did put into the CEO um, application form the apprenticeship training as well as the universities 
creating another stream of training. And the apprentices in Drogheda will be trained to the highest standards and they'll be competing in world competition skills, which are international. And this is the first time that this has happened and it's in Drogheda. So we're really delighted that that is a start. And we must commend um, the Live Meath Education Board for their for their initiative and for the follow-up and quick follow-up of what they're doing. Mm. And we believe, too, that the headquarters are going ahead. It's down with um, Live County Council for planning permission. No, so there's lots of things happening with that, but mm. it's only since the implementation board was set up that this has happened. And in fact, I believe from Martin O'Brien, I was just talking to him earlier this morning, that he's looking at another premises in Drogheda on Saturday morning to create something else. So at long last, we've somebody that's pushing for Drogheda. Okay, all right. Well, uh, it comes on foot of uh, the report, uh, which uh, was commissioned uh, following a dreadful. Uh, murder of, of a young boy in the town at, at the peak of uh, the feud between uh, the different drug gangs uh, and the idea and the recommendations was to give young people an alternative uh, to drugs and gang uh, land style uh, things that would be attracted for them and all that goes with that and the money and uh, the easy way it is to fall into that uh, way of living. So this uh, in itself uh, very positive um, uh, and it's one of a number of things as you say that's happened since that report was commissioned. It's very very positive and we're just delighted that it's, it's a game changer for Drogheda a game changer and we just we have also um, asked and it's the start of something that we're, we're hoping to move to is we've put a question in and, and we have to meet with uh, Minister O'Brien and the question that we've put in and Minister Harris is aware of it I mightn't be speaking too clearly Michael because I, I'm speaking from the heart mm. not as an experienced uh, radio speaker <laughs> so this is a question that we've put in and it's through the city status request that the government set up a working, government working group to examine the population growth and city status for Drogheda. The full spectrum of education, apprenticeships and training needs, local employment creation, tourist potential, environmental issues, as well as overhauling the administration and governance of Drogheda and environs. Until we get something like that, Drogheda will never achieve. This is a great start. And I must say, Mike, Martin O'Brien has given a great lead in this. And if it's followed on, I think there'll be great changes in Rohana. OK, very good. We'll leave there for the moment. Uh, some very positive news uh, and good to have it. And thanks indeed uh, for joining us uh, for that matter. Anna McKenna, chairperson of uh, the Drogheda City Status Group. Now, uh, some comments uh, that uh, actually uh, came yesterday uh, because we had a, a lot of uh, calls and texts and emails uh, for that matter uh, about neutrality following uh, the interview with uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs Thomas Byrne. Uh, Sean Indrahada phoned uh, on a related topic uh, asking uh, if uh, the Minister would bring the army forces in to help out at the NCT centres around the clock to alleviate the backlog of bookings. It's a crisis and this is one way to sort out that problem. I take it that uh, is instead 
of being involved in military conflict. Bill, though, was in touch, and Bill says that he listened to that interview with great interest. He's an ex-member of the Defence Forces himself, and he says that during the Kennedy-Cuban crisis in 1962, uh, that he was in the naval base in Cove in Cork. There were Russian ships bringing missiles to Cuba. He, He says they were put on standby and told to load up their ships with depth chargers. These are anti-submarine warfare weapons. Uh, And he says, uh, we were a neutral country, supposedly, but was there any neutrality in that? And he says, Thomas Burner is right. There should be a discussion on this. An email, though, comes to me from Martin Mallon with a, a very different view on it. And he says, it, it was very clear that Thomas Byrne, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, uh, want to totally trash our neutrality status when they should be staunchly defending the very principle of it in accordance with the majority of our citizens' wishes. What is driving these guys to destroy our neutrality? Who is pulling the strings? Who will benefit, follow the money, the arms industry, or basically the United States? Why do they want Ireland to become an aircraft carrier for further US-NATO world dominance, occupation, terror and destruction. The US military machine and forces are the world's leading polluter and contributor to climate, stroke, planet damage. And that's before they fire any bullets or drop any bombs. Uh, Martin goes on to say, Mr. Byrne bizarrely contends that Ireland's principles of military neutrality prevent us from receiving any cooperation from any international organisation against any cyber security threats and that special votes in the doll would be required for us to avail of this cooperation and that we can also uh, defend ourselves or we cannot defend ourselves without jumping into bed with some sort of fairy tale military alliance but oh no not NATO defend ourselves against whom or what what is this concept of defence that he waffled on about they're Martin's words of course uh, not mine uh, but in his email Martin also says uh, it's a very lengthy email he says don't we as members of the EU already have all the cooperation we need without weaponising and over militarising the country especially when we can't even feed and house our young families or have a decent health system Mr Byrne lies when he says our military neutrality stops us getting cooperation from anywhere and his insulting comments about some South American countries were contemptible um, well, I don't think he said that uh, we don't get military cooperation. I think he said that it is limited because we're a, a neutral country and that we're excluded from some information as a result of that. But Martin, in his email, says he introduces red herrings like international undersea cables, not forgetting to mention the recent blowing up of Nord Stream gas pipes, which it appears was clearly an act of international terrorism by the good old US of A. Thanks, Martin. That comes as news to me. Uh, He goes on to say he's a walk in confusion. He doesn't want to do away with neutrality, but he deviously wants changes that will do exactly that. Just like in the case of Navin's A&E, when they say it's not closing, but it is. Martin, thank you indeed uh, for your email. Uh, There was more to what Martin had to say, uh, but... uh, not enough time on the programme to bring all of that to you but thank you indeed I did read it with great interest and thank you as I say for taking the time uh, to share your thoughts with us as always 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, there's a, an awful lot of problems at uh, the Halliday's Mills Apartments on Key Street in Dundalk. Loud County Council seems to be saying it's none of our business. Let's speak uh, to local councillor uh, Sinn Féin's Kevin Meenan because, uh, as you've been hearing, there's been a dispute uh, between Kevin and council officials. Uh, good morning to Kevin and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. What are the problems in Halliday's Mills? Thanks, Michael, for having me on. A uh, number of problems. It's it's uh, mainly around anti-social behaviour, and uh, there's, there's been a lot of instances. There are guards have been called in, uh, noise, people floating about, different different ones coming in off the street into different houses as well. That seems to be another issue as well, uh, and that's uh, it, it, it's. I would get and so other councils would be the same. You'd be inundated. With, with instance, people ringing you, giving you recordings of, oh, of people screaming and fighting. There's been fires down in it. Uh, now, th- th- there's fantastic people down there mm-hmm. as well. Don't, don't get yeah. me wrong. And, and this is the issue because it's always the way. Yeah, and they are terrorised. Is, is it the worst address in Dundalk? Well, we don't want it to, to be that way, but it certainly has got a name for itself now at the moment. And, uh, and it's only in existence a short mm-hmm. period of time. So, uh, I think it's, it's critical that, that something has to happen now. Uh, and I think we probably have to look at how the allocation process works as well. Mm. Uh, and I'm not here to point fingers, but I think we have to look at that and say, how do we mix people Joe, in an environment that's going to work? Uh, it's clearly not working here at the moment. Yeah, I, thought, I thought we stopped building flats. Yeah, and, and as I say, I, like, it's, hard, it's hard to know. We're not used to flat living, or we're certainly not used to... Uh, seen how these operate. They seem to operate well in the continent. They don't seem to be operating mm. here now at the moment. I don't know about other parts, but uh, they're, they're not. this is not working here at the moment. And I, I don't know, maybe there should be a more hands-on approach from, from both the council and, and cooperative housing. Mm. Uh, there, there would be allegations of, of people giving out about both, but that's unfair in a sense, I think, too, because uh, I am aware that there is work going behind the scenes and uh, as I say, the allocation process, process mm. we'd have to look at in terms of who you put in there and how you best manage that uh, as well, because you can't just expect people just to to, to rock up into a house. And as I say, a lot of them are have have, have say issues in terms of uh, addiction issues and various things like this. And then they're going into an environment and they're bringing their friends in there, mm. and they're like maybe possibly next door to somebody who's got a child going to school or has uh, or studying for college or mm. doing various things, and then they're kept up all night with fire alarms going off. Yeah, well, so, what, what is it? Nine stories high. Sorry. Uh, how high is it? Nine stories. No, is it what? Yeah, it's about eight or nine. I'm not too sure. Yeah. It's like eighty-four apartments there. Well, really high. If you're on the eighth floor or the ninth floor um, with your child going to school in the morning, uh, undoubtedly you'd be in a, a right panic if there's a fire on the ground floor, uh, and yeah. all the residents had to be uh, evacuated not long ago because of a, gra- a fire on the ground floor. Yeah, they, they, they were evacuated, and when, when you can imagine the panic, my God! Uh, yeah, if, at two o'clock in the morning they were evacuated. Yeah. And, and, and what you do, and run down the stairs because they tell you not to get in the lift, don't they? When yeah, there's a fire, and and and, and when when they, when they were outside, they were outside. I think for two hours, and then in between that, there was people fighting there. So, so you've kids witnessing that. Uh, I spoke to people who were heading to college, doing who were studying, yeah. doing who were coming off a night shift, 
you know, and and uh, were heading to college and had been up all night, or you know, or a couple, uh, people who who are on the night shift had to go, or not on night shift, but sort of finish the day shift, and were getting up early for college, and then have to get had to get up uh, during the night for that, and then head to college the next day. Mm. Uh, and and, and my, my, the point being, what happened yesterday is it came up at a municipal meeting two weeks ago, mm. and uh, it had been mentioned there that we we looked and at that stage we knew there was a meeting with the residents and cooperative housing and the council officials were invited to go along and yeah. they declined the offer. And we, I I had arranged said that that night that I would look to arrange another meeting because councillors who were there on the night requested that we should do one. Mm. So I said I would take on to do that. I said I would raise it yesterday and I formally asked the officials would to go and I was told that they wouldn't be going. Mm. That's not their responsibility and uh, we believe it is. We're not saying it's 100% their responsibility but we they have an active role to play in this. But they're also saying that... Well, the planning, the planning goes back to the council, doesn't it? Yeah, the planning goes back to the council. Uh, and, and I, thought, I, I, I thought that we were knocking uh, flat complexes, the likes of Fatima Mansions and Ballymun and so on, because uh, they were, it was accepted by everybody that they were a failed housing model. Yeah, and, and in fact, we're actually looking to, to do the opposite because in the last development plan, the whole thing is uh, compact growth and it's all about infill housing and about getting flats and apartments and trying to uh, do the, the, your density and trying to get as much onto a piece of land as possible. So flats now seem to be, according to the plan, regulator the way forward, which I, I would question my, myself. Mm. But uh, in, in terms of of requesting a meeting, I I think we, we I think there's uh, so a meeting is held, which I'm hoping to to have arranged hopefully within the next say ten days. I would I would wish that the council officials would be there, but they say they're not going to be there. Uh, another point being, we had uh, JPC, which was well chaired a couple of weeks ago, where there were some residents there, there was the guards were there, and also council mm-hmm. officials, and, and none of the council officials were harangued or attacked at that. Do we? People just vented their frustrations. But but what, I, what we were looking for is... Uh, well, you're not saying that it. the council officials are afraid to go. I think they're saying that uh, it would be yeah. crossing a line, that it should be up to the housing body, Cooperative Housing Ireland, uh, to deal with the problems uh, and that there is a plan in place and all of that sort of stuff. But what we, we were saying, like, if, you have, if you have a group of the residents sitting there with the mm. guards council officials and councillors, and all sitting trying to walk around what's the best solution here. Mm. Because there's people who want out of there, there's people who want to stay there, but want to see people removed from there. Mm. So I, and I think if we all got together, rather than uh, one meeting somebody else behind somebody else's back, or whatever, and you just had an open discussion yeah. about it and see how best we can move this forward, because we'll all learn from it as well, because mm. there's going to be more apartments to be built in, uh, over, over the next probably two or three yeah. years. So it's how we, how we, how we, what we learn from this. Well, it's bad now. It's only going to get worse because if people move out, as you say, if all of the good people, good, decent living people move out, well, then you're going to have the people who are causing the problems left behind and more of them will join them. And then you'll end up with a situation like Fatima Mansions where you'll walk into the complex and be advised that brown is on the left and white is on the right. In other words, do you want heroin or cocaine? Yeah, another thing as well. People will people will not go for these houses or these apartments. People will not. to look at what the example of Haldi's Mills. So people will not look to to put their name forward for mm. these houses. So they'll or apartments. So they'll then uh, struggle to to fill these, and then you're filling them with people who 
don't particularly care and may mm. not be all suitable to, to be to be located in the one area. And th- and that's when you're into the, the bigger problems. Anyway. And how were the apartments allocated? You, you said you had a problem with that, but how, how, how we were people selected? Yeah, yeah, a lot of them went on choice-based lettings, uh, which is a system where people apply to be to be on them to to get into there, where they have a number and you go on and you express an interest in the house. So some would have come through there, but some of some other ones would have come through, through say the homeless section, so, and uh, and some of them have worked out fine. So and and some have some have have not worked out fine through the homeless section and probably also the choice-based Latin section as well. Mm. So it's, it's, it's how we vet them all and, and, and how you can narrow it down. And another thing is too, like we probably have to look at when, when people get into a house, what structures you put around them to make them aware because everyone has a right to a house but people have a right to live beside somebody. And and, and, you, and as I say, you can have a right to drive but it doesn't mean you, you normally do a test to, to get into one. You don't mean to learn to drive. Mm. And, and housing is a big thing do and it's, it's a lot to take on and you have to be cognizant of, of your neighbours and all that and, and mm. maybe we have to look at that aspect of things How, what, do, you do, what, how, do, you, how do you do that? Sorry for yeah, asking well, an impossible question but Oh yeah but well, well, it's probably start with a delicacy thing I'm, I'm losing you there Kevin sorry Sorry, sorry. Probably the whole probation thing of maybe going in and your your probation tenant doing it and that you have to behave to hold on to your house mm. Okay uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, the officials aren't, aren't go to this meeting. Um, the meeting will go ahead, though, will it? Yeah. Well, we we, we will organise a meeting and we'll talk to the residents and and we will see from there. But as I say, I think uh, I still think it should go ahead. We've had a lot of residents who have been on this looking for this. A lot of councillors have been asking for this, mm. and uh, we will still go ahead. And and it, it won't be it won't be as good as what it would be if you had council officials there. I think you need all for all parts of the 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 cake there. Hmm. rather than just four parts out of five. Okay, but the housing body will be there. The housing body said uh, they would uh, be there. Uh, uh, they, had in, they had invited the council to the last one with the residents and the council said no, they weren't going. Okay, but the housing, uh, bo- the housing body has it within its gift, does it not, to evict people? It has, and hmm. I think that's, there's some, that, that process is happening at the moment. I can't say much more on that, so, but I believe, I believe that is, and the council have said that, that is, that's hmm. the case. And, and, and and I think if if everybody's around the table and the communication becomes a lot more clear, I think people will be a lot more happier. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, evictions can take so long and it, it sounds from what you're saying that the only way that uh, the decent living people, if you like, uh, and I hate to differentiate between people like that, but there's obviously one set of people who are causing another set of people huge amounts of problems, but... Uh, the only way the decent living people will get any peace is by having mass evictions. Yeah, and 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 as I say, you you want to you want to ultimately learn from this, and, and nobody wants to affect anybody else. So the ideal situation would be people would go in and respect our neighbours, and 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 maybe beyond the probation. Uh, Situation for those who are only going to be there for a while. I, I don't know, but it'll probably take us all sitting around the table to come up with ideas to look at this because going forward, it's apartments, seems to be apartments all the way. Uh, we have a development there of Ice House Hill, uh, Gardens, which has been allocated there recently. There's 130 houses in that, there's a lot of them are going to be apartments. So how do we manage these? And, and it's not on the scale of what we have in Holidays Mill, where it's a complete block of flats. Do you know, but they are going to be? An apartment settings uh, where you're going to have 
people using stairwells and common areas and all of that. And, and we have to look at how we can do this better. Yeah, and I, I take it people are afraid of people. People are, are really afraid of, of of some of the people that they're living beside. Really, mm. genuinely afraid of who they're living beside, and uh, and, and there's no it's very hard to talk to people when they're not fair. What, what can you tell them? Mm. Because uh, other than that, that you're trying to work with the, the relevant bodies to make sure that their 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 uh, their home life will be safe and secure. And yeah. a lot of people just go in and say they close the door. And, 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 and it's a worrying thing to me as well is people have said that the fire alarms have gone off. They've gone off quite a few times that people didn't even leave their apartments because they just said to just an apartment. And then there was a fire. Right. So that, that, that's quite worrying too. Yeah. Yeah. And they're right to be afraid. Uh, uh, and yeah. if they report these people, there could very well be consequences for them or if, they enter, if they, you look at them sideways, there could be consequences with a lot of these people, I take it. It is, yeah, and, and the yeah, common areas would yeah, have yeah. people who are, who are not living there, who are coming into parties, or, mm, mm. You know, and, and, and it's very hard to keep track of who they are, and, and some of them are coming in and staying there, and hanging for, going from one party to another mm. in the same block, and, mm. and, and causing mayhem. Or dealing or buying, because that's what happens, uh, and that's why they close the flats and knock the flats uh, in other areas. Yeah. 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 All right, Kevin, uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, you'll uh, be asking residents to meet with you and uh, hopefully uh, something can be done to improve uh, the situation for people. Uh, keep us up to speed, if you would, please. And thanks. As I as will as do. Thank, Thank you. you. That's uh, Kevin Mean and Sinn Féin councillor. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, you talk uh, about a ban on evictions and straight away uh, you hear of uh, illegal challenges. You've been hearing uh, the Taunasha has said he believes uh, that it will stand up against that legal challenge and will prove to be constitutionally sound. Let's uh, speak uh, to John Mark McCafferty of Threshold. A very good morning to you, John Mark, and thanks as always uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. Uh, This is something that you've been calling for for some time. It it looks as though uh, a temporary ban will be put in place up to the end of March. That's right, Michael. So um, it appears that um, a ban on evictions um, in a number of circumstances will will take place uh, from the 1st of November right through uh, till the, the date you mentioned there in late March. Um, and, you know, we, we have asked for this, but we, we've asked for this um, it, knowing that, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's never ideal to be looking for a, an outright ban on evictions because of the, the impact that it can have in the wider rental market for the longer term um, in relation to decisions that um, smaller landlords might make in, in the medium and longer term. Um, we, obviously, we, we had uh, outright bans before uh, during a pandemic. This time round, um, it's it's an epidemic of, of tenancy terminations that we're seeing. Um, and that's why um, we have um, we, we have looked for this, but we, we haven't looked for this lightly. Mm. Um, and we, we do think it should be time-bound um, we do think that um, it, you know it, it has to kind of create a bit of breathing space as well for measures to be taken to keep landlords in the market um, and pr- to provide longer term security for private renters. So in a sense, it's a time out from evictions in order to provide that space to think and to legislate and um, and also to look at supply seriously. Mm. And um, I, I, you know, I do have my sympathies with landlords. I met them um, alongside other. Uh, charities yesterday when we met with the minister um, in Customs House and um, 
I understand they're not happy. Um, and um, I, I understand, as you mentioned there, it will be it will be challenged legally. Um, but um, the, the situation we find ourselves in is that um, it's the level of notices of termination that are taking place now where families with children and, and individuals have no other option when their notice of termination runs out. They have very little or no other options in the private rented sector because mm. there's there's just there's nowhere to rent. Aren't. There's nowhere to rent. Mm. There's nowhere to rent. Mm. And even when they go to their local authority, if uh, they're, they're seeking emergency accommodation, the local authorities and and the, the homeless charities are maxed out on in terms of the, the emergency accommodation. So people mm. are falling on at the mercy of their family, their friends, to stay in a spare room to sleep on a sofa, to sleep on a couch. Um, what we don't want is children sleeping rough, families sleeping rough, sleeping in cars. So, um, you know, we are maxed out and that's why such a drastic mm. measure has been sought. Uh, and if you're evicted, the worry is is that you've nowhere else to go other than someone's couch or to sleep in your car, as uh, the case may be. But this ban on evictions is not a free-for-all. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can stop paying your rent uh, or... Uh, cause untold trouble. It's a, a, a no-fault ban. That's what I understand, yeah. And some details still need to be um, finalised and we'll, we'll know when government makes their announcements. But uh, my understanding is that um, um, you, you know, deliberate non-payment of rent, um, it, that you can, a landlord can still um, end a tendency on that basis. Antisocial behaviour, um, you know, willful damage to, to property, Tendencies can end on that basis, um, so, so 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 those still um, exist. Um, I guess the challenge is to to be able to determine between the can't pays and the won't pays. But generally speaking, in our experience, and we work with um, private renters every day, every week, um, the vast vast majority are really want to to pay the rent. They want to stay in their tenancy. They want to sustain their tenancy, yeah. and and it's often because of the various competing costs in their household budgets and the, the, the hiking up, the, the increase in, in rents that have taken place um, over the last um, 10 years that are real challenges. And I suppose this winter is particularly challenging because not only are rents you know, at the all-time high, it's also to do with um, cost of living being so high, you know, 9% inflation and the energy bills um, that people are beginning to see, the energy bills that we know are coming down the line that will be very, very challenging. Um, these are all conspiring um, for um, people on fixed incomes, people on lower to middle incomes who are in the private rented sector. So that's an added an added factor here. But mm-hmm. certainly we're seeing um, a doubling of the number of private renters who are coming to us with um, notices of termination. Um, We're seeing an average of 462 private renters a month this year coming to us with notices of termination. And of those, um, 58% is where the landlord was intending to sell. That compares with a a number of 263 renters a month in 2019 where a notice of termination um, was was, um, issued to those renters. So it's effectively a doubling in the, the rates of tenancy terminations. And, you know, four or five years ago, we were able to kind of challenge a lot of those terminations because they were bogus. A lot of them were bogus. And um, people, you know, landlords said they were going to sell in the, in, in, in the end, they didn't. Mm. This time around, they are selling. 
um, there's very little that can be done and, and often the most that can be done is trying to ensure that the, the, the tenant and the, their family have their full notice periods to try and find somewhere else. But as I mentioned earlier, the big challenge there is there's nothing to find because the, the supply just isn't there. The options in the private rented sector simply are not there. Um, and, and you know, as I say, there the emergency accommodation, homeless accommodation yeah. Yeah, at local authority levels and maxed out. So this is... Um, yeah, that's part of the crisis, and it, it's a crisis that has many parts uh, to it. Uh, from a, a tenant's, tenant's perspective, though, uh, this will give peace of mind uh, up until the end of March and beyond, because tenants have rights, and, uh, and if you're being evicted, you can't be just turfed out overnight. Uh, most tenants, uh, if they're any length of time in uh, the property, would have to be given six months' notice. So if a, a landlord decides uh, to issue a, a notice to quit a, a notice of termination in the next few days before this ban comes I- into place that would be put on pause wouldn't it uh, and that six months then would apply after March so you'd be up to uh, the following September October Well that's a good question and I've been asked that a couple of times today I- I've seen conflicting uh, reports um, some uh, outlets saying they will it will be paused other outlets saying if, if there's a, a live notice of termination, it will continue to run through. So um, we just need you know full clarity on right. on, on what the, the design of the uh, the eviction ban is going to be and and, we, and which side of that equation uh, things fall. Okay, if you give landlords that type of notice, uh, this could have unintended consequences if that it turns out yeah. to be the case. Yeah, well, of course, you could see a, a real ramping up of uh, tenancy terminations in the next couple of, of weeks. If this is, you know, this is not coming into effect until the first of November, so there's another um, you know, best part of two weeks um, in which you know notices of termination could be could be issued. So we just need to um, get clarity, I guess, uh, from government in relation to the, that that particular question because it keeps coming up, uh, and, and and people are, are rightly exercised about about whether or not um, existing uh, mm. notices um, are paused well, or not. That, well, in effect, it would mean the ban would make no difference. Uh, if landlords wishing uh, to evict people moved uh, in the next two weeks, and that's a, a lot of time to get a, a notice to quit together. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, So we just need to get uh, the, the, the kind of clarity that's, that's required in mm. order to... Um, uh, I suppose reduce the risk of unintended consequences in that area. Yeah, um, uh, as said, it's uh, one of the parts of a, a crisis that has many parts. Uh, it's just hard to believe, isn't it, John Mark? I mean, you, I'm not sure uh, how many years uh, you're at this with Threshold. Uh, I know you were with Vincent de Paul before that. You've been uh, kind of a, a lifetime working in this area with people uh, who are having these kind of problems, and there seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel. Well, I, I would say this: um, social housing supply is increasing. It's still not increasing at the rate we, we would we would like. Um, there have been kind of barriers to it, but but there there is social housing output now through um, partly through the local authorities. I'd say mostly through the approved housing bodies. So you have more social housing than uh, output than we would have had some years ago. Um, we have uh, cost rental housing now. It's not anywhere near the scale that we'd, we'd be looking for. But but again, these are changes. And, and now that those those models have, have been established and 
we can see that they work. Um, it's about kind of building up and, and ramping that up. The problem is um, kind of access to, to land and affordable land, and you know, well, I understand you know quite a lot of state land in the urban areas. Where it's, you know, we're running out of it. So, um, but I, I would say just as you know, um, to you know, maybe some some um, light at the end of the tunnel, but. Mm. Um, there, there have been um, improvements in tenants' uh, rights and tenant protections through legislation over the last number of years, um, but that's in the context of rising rents, uh, problems of affordability. Um, certainly, we saw during um, COVID there was a what what came to the fore as well were issues of um, standards and repairs and you know damp mould or, or, or lack of maintenance be coming up as an issue. Um, and then, I suppose, really importantly, right now, uh, this um, this epidemic, I would call it, of um, of tenancy terminations. And you know, I, I hear what landlords say in relation to you know, if you if you um, bring in another moratorium, that will just push more landlords out of the market. Um, but I guess the, the question is, what is the alternative right now, mm. given? The extent to which yeah. um, well, families and individuals are, are, are losing their homes. Let's hope they're not right and that that happens before November. Uh, and I think that is a concern today. Uh, if uh, people are renting and they have any concerns, there's lots uh, of help. People have lots of rights. Uh, I think that's uh, well worth uh, reminding people of. And if they're not aware of their rights, there's plenty of advice and help from Threshold on threshold.ie. Uh, you can chat uh, through the web chat on the website and there's a free phone number as well 1-800-454-454 uh, we leave it there for the moment John Mark thanks as always for joining us on the programme John Mark McCafferty is uh, the CEO of Threshold Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As you know, uh, as always, we have a number of incidents which Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Kate Patterson is uh, the Community Engagement Officer in Dundalk and joins us for this week's report. And we're going to begin with an appeal for a missing person, Mark Duffy, who's missing from uh, the Navin area. Uh, and he's been missing now for over a couple of weeks, I understand. That's right. Um, so the Guardian Navin are renewing their appeal for the public's assistance in tracing the whereabouts of 43-year-old Mark Duffy. Mark was last seen at the post office in the Johnson area of Navin on Monday, October the 3rd, so over two weeks ago. Um, Mark is described as being 5 foot 8 in height. He is of broad build with brown hair and blue eyes. Anyone with any information on Mark's whereabouts is asked to contact Navan Garda Station on 046-903-6100 or indeed the Garda Confidential Line on 1800-666-111. It's a long time to be missing. I'm sure people are, are very anxious for some information. Very uh, concerned. I'm sure. Uh, we're going to Dunsany next uh, and a report of a stolen Jeep. That's right, Michael. So a black Toyota Hilux crew cab was stolen from the Mercedes area of Trim on Tuesday the 11th of October, 10 past four in the afternoon. So last Tuesday, um, this vehicle was taken from the roadside whilst the owner, a local farmer, was farming in a field close by. We would appeal to farmers and other residents of the countryside and request that they ensure that their vehicles are properly locked and the keys removed from the ignition as they go about their daily business. Criminals do still appear to be operating in the countryside and are specifically targeting jeeps 
as farmers go about their day-to-day business. The Guardian Trim would like to speak to anyone who is in the Dunsany area at approximately 4pm, 4pm to 4.30pm last Tuesday the 11th of October. Perhaps you noticed a suspicious vehicle and maybe you captured something on your dash cam. Anyone with any information at all is asked to contact the Guardian Trim and the number in Trim is 46 9481540 or as always the Garda Confidential Line. Next to a story uh, not uh, dissimilar to uh, stories we've been hearing uh, a, a bit of uh, recently uh, becoming too familiar really uh, and uh, Gardy looking for information on somebody who's impersonating uh, a member of Angarda Siakana. That's right, Michael, and it's something that we're becoming increasingly worried about, um, especially in the Mead area. So the Guardian Mead are investigating several incidents recently where a suspect has impersonated a member of Angarda Shikana. Now, this suspect in question will typically target homes of the elderly and the vulnerable. They'll call to this person's door and they'll claim that they're a plainclothes member of Angarda Shikana and they'll show the resident what appears to be a Garda identification badge before asking if they can enter the house. Once they gain entry to the house, um, you know, they'll proceed to burgle the home. So we would appeal that the public don't open their door to anybody they don't know until they have confirmed who they are and what they want. Even if this means ringing the local guard station to confirm that the caller is who they say they are. We would also ask everybody to be extra vigilant, to keep an eye on your neighbours, especially the elderly and the vulnerable, and that you report any suspicious activity to ourselves. And we would also like to to give out this bit of um, advice. Mm. We would always say, if in doubt keep them out. Okay, prudent advice too. Our next report uh, dates back a couple of months in time actually. It's a a renewed appeal following a road traffic collision in Dundalk last August. That's right, Michael. So a number of weeks ago now, um, Dundalk already are investigating a collision which took place at the Crescent Roundabout in Dundalk on Friday the 26th of August at half past one in the afternoon. Although this incident took place some time ago, um, some of your listeners might remember the day. It was the last Friday in August. Schools had just gone back and the incident occurred in a busy area of the town at lunchtime. A male cyclist came off his bike and suffered injuries when a black Mercedes drove too close to him at the roundabout, causing him to fall. Now, the driver of the Mercedes failed to remain at the scene and travelled towards the direction of RD. Dark RD would like to appeal to anyone who may have caught this incident on their dash cam or on their mobile phone. If you can assist us in any way, please contact Dundalk Garda Station. The number in Dundalk is 042-938-8400. OK, and we'll stay in Dundalk where Gardaí are hearing reports of bicycles being stolen. This is something that's on the increase. Absolutely, Michael. We've recently noticed a massive spike in the number of thefts of bicycles and we are appealing to the public to take extra measures in ensuring that their bikes are properly secured when they're left in a public place. So firstly, we would ask the public to make sure that they invest in a good lock and even double lock the bike as this will make it less of a target to criminals. Um, We would also ask that you try and ensure that one of the locks is a D-style lock, as these D-style locks are very difficult for criminals to tamper with. And when locking up your bicycle, 
we would sort of advise you maybe to take a look around the area to see if it's covered by CCTV. You can be rest assured that if there are CCTV cameras present, they act as a great deterrent to criminals and criminals are less likely to target your bike if it's in an area uh, covered by CCTV. Mm. Um, We would also suggest that you register your bike or your property. Um, Bikes can be registered for free on the recently launched Garda Shikana property app. Now, this app is free to download via the Garda website and it's also available on the Apple app and the Google Play stores. The app was developed by ourselves and Garda Shikana to allow members of the public to record and index their property. Now, that property could be bikes, laptops, machinery. Um, It gives you the facility to record unique information associated with your property. And should your property be stolen, you can report the theft of your property via the actual app. Mm. Um, Information which can be uploaded on the app includes serial numbers, receipts, photographs, all of these which would assi- okay. assist us um, mm. with the investigation of a theft. So if your bike was stolen and is recovered by ourselves, it's much easier for us to return it to the rightful owner, provided that you record this information on mm. the app. And next to impossible otherwise. Uh, just briefly before you finish, uh, I know you want to mention the Garda Youth Awards. Yes, Michael. So we're delighted um, in Live to announce the launch of the Live Garda Divisional Youth Awards in association with Centra. The Youth Awards were established to recognise the very positive contribution that some young people between the ages of 13 and 21 have made to their communities. So awards are considered in a number of categories. Um, They're considered for people who have helped to make their community a better place to live or for young people who have shown great determination in overcoming difficulties in their own lives. If you have somebody in mind or you wish to nominate somebody for an award, the forms are available in all Centra stores at your local Garda station or they can be downloaded from the Centra website www.centra.ie. Now the closing date for nominations is Thursday the 27th of October. Your nomination can be sent to us by email at loud.youthawards at garda.ie or you can drop it in or post it to any of the community engagement teams in Drogheda, RD or Dundalk Garda Station. Okay, very good. Thank you indeed. Garda Kate Patterson of uh, the Community Engagement Unit at Dundalk Garda Station. The Garda Crime Desk uh, will return around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. That's our programme for today and God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.